Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cloisterbell podcast. Coming up, we'll be revisiting the Colin Baker story, Revelation of the Daleks. The TARDIS Cloisterbell. Imminent disaster. The Cloisterbell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. So, yes, hello, everyone. We're back again. Uh, I'm Rob, and I'm here with Liam. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Hello. How's it going? Ah, uh, not too bad. It's uh, It's been quite a busy week uh, with work, and um, I've actually booked a few days off. So, um, nice, nice long weekend. Yep. Um, just days off at home? Well, no, I, d- I definitely want to get uh, out and about as much as possible. Um, so I've got, at the time of recording, I'm planning to uh, go for a nice long walk tomorrow, which is a Friday. Um, yeah. And it's quite funny. If, if anyone's familiar with the Northeast and particularly Newcastle, where I'm thinking of going just for, for a change of scenery, some people may laugh uh, just because I haven't been at uh, that end of the city for, for, for quite a while. I'm thinking of having a nice long walk to Wall's End. Nice. Yeah, and um, walking along sort of that section of the river where Swan Hunter's shipbuilding yard used to be. Um, I saw you'd put some pictures on um, Instagram of um, Jesmond. Yeah. Be- the Jesus Mound. Oh, yes. Um, so if, if anyone's <laughs> interested, because I don't have an Instagram account, so it's Liam underscore Hutchinson one. And, um, yeah, I've... I've... Um, been just posting up photos of there so yeah been having a walk around jasmine dean quite a lot and um i came across one or two things which i'd never seen before so that there was a tree that was apparently planted in 1919 from a seed collected by an unknown soldier from world war one uh, battlefield in belgium and that uh tree was planted from that seed so that was quite you know it was just you know tree with that history and you can pinpoint it that was quite nice and you know i like nature i like trees and yeah there's um uh, there was a there's a remains of a 13th century chapel. Um, so yeah, I've posted photos of that up, which is quite nice because it's right it's it's right next to a, a residential area as well. So you've got this mm. this wonderful contrast of um, the, this it's quite old... a, quite a popular site. Yes, there's yeah, a lot of, um, pilgrimages and yeah, well, it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it used to be because it was one of the at the time. Uh, during the 13th, 14th, and 15th centuries, you had five major pilgrim sites in Britain, and that was one of them. Um, mm. And anyway, it's just those. It's it's now the the ruins of an old chapel, um, but some people still use it. So there's little alcoves uh, within the ruins, and people still put prayers and things in there. So you know, it's quite I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shame. We were meant to get out and about earlier this year because we were going to do our Mark of the Rani location spotting <laughs> yes yes we were I was, I was actually really looking forward to that it's uh Darn yeah it. yeah it's, it's a bit of a shame it's a bit much when you you, you know you can't even travel within your own country i mean because i had this thing because last year i went to florence uh for a week which was really really nice and it was funny because planning it in 2018 it was thinking well shall i do it 2019 or 2020 if i do it in 2020 that will give me a bit more time to save up and it'll make things easier I don't know where this came from, but I had a feeling that had I planned it for 2020, it wouldn't have happened. I was just thinking, 
It was just this feeling. Do not plan it for 2020. Do it 2019. Foresight. Yeah, so pleased. Um, and then the plan that I had was uh, this year. I wanted to actually travel with you know within the UK a lot more. And actually, one of the things that I've, I really want to do is go to the Shetland Islands because uh, I just think that'd be quite uh, quite nice. And um, I can't even do that, unfortunately. Um, and funny enough, uh, at work, um, woman w- uh, woman's just retired, and she's she's wanting to do you know a lot of travel. Perfectly normal. She's booked a holiday in January, and everyone's like, "Well, bloody hell, that is optimistic." Yeah, I can't believe how many people are planning the holidays. Yeah, I mean, I hope it happens uh, for them. Um, it'd be fantastic if it does, but I, can't, I, I personally can't see it happening at the moment, uh, which is a shame. But but yes, yeah. uh, that, that that would have been quite nice. Yeah, we were planning to um, do some do some location scouting on for Mark of the Rami and record in the actual locations and stuff, which would have been quite nice. Yeah, somehow I knew this. Um, podcast would yet yeah, again spiral into the reality depressing stuff <laughs> yeah no, no, cause for, yeah, funny enough listeners uh, just prior to recording we were saying that actually we wanted this to be a respite for for you know the situation of 2020 We you know so people can listen to the podcast yeah. and this, uh, have it a this bit is a covid free safe zone <laughs> yeah exactly didn't happen uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah uh, we do try we failed but we tried um so I think on that note, should we, should we move on? Yes, we'll try. Actually, actually, Rob, because uh, you asked me, I didn't ask you. H- h- how have you been? Uh, I've been really good. Life is normal, as always. What have I been doing? Oh, I, w- I watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's just come on Netflix. All right, any good? Um, the animated movie, it really is. Um, of all of all the Spider-Man movies, I think that's probably my favourite. Is that, that is that the animated movie that came out last year? It is, yeah. Yeah, I've, um, heard, I've heard really good things about that. Like the the music's really cool. It's um, it's more respectful of the of the source material. It's it's very very much like a comic book, the animation style. Ah, right, okay. It's good. Check it out. No, no, I will do. Yeah, because uh, I remember when it came out, there was quite uh, there was quite a few favourable reviews, and um, I saw clips of it, and it did, it did look really good. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try and catch that sometime. So I think it's time for the news. We haven't said that in a while. I think uh, yeah. back during the series twelve reviews. Um, but here goes. Jack's back. Um, John Barman returns to Doctor Two. To <laughs> don't, even, don't even know the name of the show. Um, John Barrowman returns to Doctor Who for the special episode Revolution of the Daleks. Um, he made a surprise return last year with a brief appearance in Series 12's Fugitive of the Jadoon. Um, however, this will be the first reunion with the Doctor since the end of Time Part 2. A long time ago. Yeah, wow. That is, that is a long time ago. Do you feel old reading that? I do, yeah. Since then, he returned for Children of Earth, Miracle Day, mm-hmm. and of course, um, Fugitive. So, feels like he, he hasn't actually been gone that long, but it's strange to think he hasn't returned since. Yeah, when was the end of time? Was that 2010? 
Or have I got the years mixed no, up? No, um, that was uh, two thousand and eight. Oh yeah, that that yeah, that sounds about. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Jack was a bit of a funny character. Because I remember when he was for when he, when he in that that Stephen Moffat story, uh, the Empty Child, the Doctor Dances. Because I remember really liking that story, but my initial reaction was, but this character Jack's just annoying. I can't stand him. Thank God he's only in this one story. And he's still here. And he's still here. But actually, you know, over the years, the, the character has grown on me. But my initial reaction was that he wasn't a character I particularly liked. I just thought he was irritating. And then, you know, so to the point when uh, in Utopia, um, the, the doctor the doctor tries to get away from Jack. And they went, yeah, don't blame you. But actually, I think it was from that point on that the character had grown on me and I, I didn't mind. And I do actually like the character. And I think t watching Torchwood, because I didn't watch Torchwood when it when it was originally broadcast. Um, I came to it many years later and actually quite liked it. And I think that was a big part of me re-evaluating the character and quite liking him. So obviously, with his surprise appearance in Fugitive of the Jadoon, um, you know, it was that, yeah, that was quite a, quite a nice surprise. But it, it seemed to be that that was, that was it. Um... You know, with the way that that series progressed, because the obvious thing would have been, oh, he's going to appear at some some other episode in that series, and it was quite surprising mm. that he didn't. And maybe it was like, well, maybe that, maybe incorporating him into that episode was a sleight of hand for the reveal of the surprise Doctor at the end, so people were more focused on the su the supposed surprise return of Jack. Yeah, it's a bit of a double whammy. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's good that he's returning. I'm looking forward to it. Revolution of the Daleks gets a release date and a trailer. I'm sure you've all seen it by now. The trailer um, shows the TARDIS family still on Earth with their own TARDIS from the, the final episode of the last series. Of course, Jack makes a return too. The episode sees a return of the Daleks with a new look. Um, it's a very similar look to Resolution, isn't it? Mm -hmm. the, the bodywork, yeah. And the long-expected return um, of Sex and the City's Mr. Big. I don't remember the character in Doctor Who, uh, but he was in Arachnids in the UK. Yes. Um, you were out of the country that uh, that week, I think, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in. Uh, I think I was in Seville at the time, doing location scouts for the, for the two doctors. Toby. Yes, <laughs> we'll get there one day. Um, the special episode will be broadcast on New Year's Day on BBC One, and I believe it's at 6.45. Let's have a little listen to the trailer now. How many people in the universe get to meet the Doctor, let alone travel with her? Being with the Doctor, you don't get to choose when it stops, whether you leave her or she leaves you. She leaves you. The Doc would really want us to keep an eye on the planet, right? But how is that possible? If you don't help, the human race is going down. You with us? As of now, you will see new defense drones at work. These machines are going to change the world. Yo, remember us? I'm Captain Jack Harkness, and I'm immortal. Are you feeling insecure? Because you seem to need a lot of praise. Do I? Maximum extermination! Not you guys. Don't move! Now, Jack! Stay strong. People waiting for you. 
So, good trailer. I'm sure there's quite a few breakdowns online, I haven't looked at them. Yeah, it's hard to know who's the true antagonist of the story. Mm -hmm. What people's motives are. The Doctor's quite separated from everyone else. We only see her in her cell. Yeah, so the Doctor's trapped away from her friends and her loved ones. Stuck in a one isolated place. Uh, mm. Missing those that she loves. I wonder if um, Jack will kind of fill her role. Yeah, no, I was just thinking it was... Uh, I just think it's very suitable for the yeah. Um, yeah, it's... it's yeah, it... There's a lot of interest and expectation, I think, with this episode in terms because the, the way that the, the previous series ended was was a massive surprise, on top of everything else that that episode contained with the timeless child and all the rest of it, and then the Jadoon suddenly pop up and say she's arrested. So how's she going to get out with that one? And then mm. uh, and then with the government making some stupid decisions with uh, using the Daleks by the looks of it, because um, there's a there's a there's a shot outside Ten Downing Street with. I don't know whether it's supposed to be the Prime Minister or or a member of the Cabinet. One would assume the Prime Minister outside Downing Street, flanked by two Daleks. Yeah, um, not not so far-fetched. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not as if the government has made stupid decisions before, and I'm sure they will continue to make increasingly more stupid decisions. Satire, mm. folks. You can't beat it. Um, and it, it, I mean, it sort of rem reminds you a bit of Victory of the Daleks, because in that, you know, that was a story where, you know, they, you know, we had the British government at the time, set during the Second World War. You, you know, thinking that the Daleks were a good, were a good tool to use. Um, but it'd be interesting to, to, to see within the confines of the story why the government have decided to use the Daleks again. Yeah. Um, it also follows a theme from Victory of the Daleks because people are unaware of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was confirmed in The Woman Who Fell to Earth on the train that um, Ryan, Yaz and Graham didn't know about aliens. So all that has been kind of gently retconned with the Kraken time or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doctor Who The Collection Season 8 um, Blu-ray release and trailer. Um, I believe you're getting this one, Liam. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I've, I've already pre-ordered it. Uh, I mean, because you've got to be quick with these things. It's uh, Even during the pre-order phrase, you've got to get in there if, you, if you're one for, for getting them. Because I remember um, when it was first announced that they were going to be doing this, first it was with season 12, which was Tom Baker's first season, uh, as a means to gauge whether there would be any interest or not. Um, and I remember thinking... Well, if I'm going to get it, I, I know fine well that it's going to be I'm making the decision to whether to buy all the Blu-ray sets when they come out. Yeah, because um, of course it's all or nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially when you're a Doctor Who fan. No, I know it sounds daft. It's one of those things where you, you can buy one. It doesn't mean you have to get the whole set. But I knew that for me, if I, if I was to get, you know, I was going to go down that route. If I bought one, then it would be like, well, I've made the decision to get all the Blu-ray box sets. Um... I remember sort of like humming and a hawing for a bit. I didn't pre-order season 12 straight away. It wasn't very clear to begin with, or at least for me, that they were going to be limited edition. So anyway, eventually pre-ordered it and got it. But yeah, as, as you know, as people know, you know, people have been burned even by just even just by waiting a week in some instances mm. for, uh, for, for to pre-order it, and then they've all gone. Um, 
it's just astonishing. So yeah, as soon as soon as, as soon as I found out, um, pre-ordered it. Uh, I'm I'm a little surprised that they they're releasing season eight this early on in the release schedule. Um, uh, but I, I thought I thought they would have released you know um, maybe season twenty five or season twenty was the, was the the rumor that was going around. I was. You know, or, or maybe another Tom Baker. Well, I don't know, but um, but I was a little surprised it was season eight, and that that isn't to say that I think it's a, it's a bad decision. It's a, it's a pleasant surprise because it's a, you know it's the John Pertwee era, which I absolutely love, and it's it's got some cracking stories in it. Terror of the Autons, Mind of Evil, Claws of Axos. I'll be honest, I think that might be my favourite somehow. Um, Colony in Space and the Demons. And it's interesting because it's going to get released. I mean, I think everyone's again waiting for bated breath of going when they're going to announce that the release date's delayed. Because you know that's another thing as well. But you know, we we, we don't mind too much. Um, but it's going to get released uh, early next year, 2021. Uh, and I suspect it's deliberate that that also marks the 50th anniversary of introducing the master. So season eight celebrates its 50th anniversary next year. Um, because this is another thing as well with that season is every single story contains the master uh, introduced in Ter- Terror of the Autons which you know, is a story that oh, what was it? Uh, I think that would have been the third or fourth ever Doctor Who story I watched way back when I was six years old I've always, you know, I've always liked that. I think, you know, that, that's a that's a classic. You know, it's got the Autons in, which are fantastic. It introduces the Master for the first time in the series, and it's a fantastic introduction. The Man of Evil is not too bad. It's going to be interesting how, because when that was released on DVD, they were able to colorize the um, the the story, because previously it had um, it had been available on VHS, but only the black and white version of it. We didn't have the uh, the color version, so they were able to colorize it. And I mean, not denigrating the hard work that went into doing that, but uh, I, I didn't quite like it. I much preferred the um, the, the black and white version. Did it's, they use the same technique they used on Planet of the Daleks? I believe they did. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that turn out too badly. Well, that was only one episode which was episode three that they had to work with. And they actually used two techniques, which was the um, which was to colorize it using, so basically painting the, the black and white footage uh, as much as possible. And then it was ju- during the making of that DVD, they then discovered the, um, the micro dot process of being able to recover the colored information from the black and white footage. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it really is. It's, uh, they can only do that because of the unique way that the, the the black and white transfers were made because they they filmed the colored they basically showed the colored um footage on a television screen and filmed that on a black and white film so even though it's it's black and white because it was recording a colored image the dots the frequency of the dots on the image actually provides the colour information which they're now able to drag out. I think I've, I, I think that's the obviously putting it at its most basic element. Um, but since since then obviously the technology has, has developed so it's going to be interesting if um, how the mind of evil is going to look. The Claws of Axos is a classic so that'd be good. Colony in Space I know is a story that not many people like. I love it. Um, I think it's very underrated. 
Whereas conversely, funnily enough, I think the demons is overrated. But that's you know that's a that's a fan favourite. Oh, watch what you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Katie Manning returned to the role of Joe Joe Jones <laughs> yeah. um, for the trailer promoting the box set, and I think we'll play a little clip for that now. Darling, listen, you know the twins have formed this electro-hip-hop band? Well, they're just about to Zoom us with their first demo. Never mind the Zoom. Look at this. Where did you get that? It's plastic. Yes, I, I know it's plastic, but where did you get it? As if this planet isn't polluted enough without companies manufacturing plastic flowers. Yes, but where did you get it, Oh, there's these weird guys out there with carnival masks on, they're handing them out. I get my piece of my mind, but would they listen? No. Joe? It's happening again. They're not selling flowers. Oh, no. Aliens? Oh, yes. Are we ever going to have a normal weekend? So that, thank you, that's the end of the news. <laughs> um, on with the podcast. So, Revelation of the Daleks. I have this on DVD, actually. I'm going to read the plot from that. I got this one signed in... What was it? 2015. I got this signed by Colin Baker. Did you get um, anything signed by Colin Baker? Um, yeah, because we've met him twice, uh, so I can't remember which convention I got. Because funny, I got the, I've got the DVD of, of that signed as well. I think along with Vengeance on Veros. I think I may have done that the first time we met him. But yeah, right. I think I got this signed the second time. Yeah, yeah. Um. So the box reads: The Doctor and Perry arrive on the planet Necros, home of tranquil repose, a funeral home for the galaxy elite. But is this the Doctor's own final resting place? And why do the Daleks guard the inner sanctums of the perpetually interred? Perhaps the great healer will have the answers. Uh, just a thought, this reminds me of Matt Smith. He um, was in a similar situation where he he knew his final resting place. Mm -hmm. And Colin Baker obviously has a moment in this where he thinks the same. Yeah, that's true actually, yeah. Just as a quick um, question, which which one do you think handles the, handles the idea better? Which story? Mm. Um, I don't think I really believed it for a second, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's a good point. What, what do you think about that? I mean, it's not a bad idea, but I think actually you've hit the nail on the head. It goes into whether you believe it's gonna if it is really the Doctor's resting place or not, and we all know that really the Doctor isn't gonna die. I think probably they made it a bit of a, a bit of a, a meal of it with the the Matt Smith era. So probably the fact that it's in the story, it's a good idea, but they quickly move on from it. Maybe it works better in Revelation. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever think the Doctor will die until the um, until we get finally get Michael Jason's Valiard and Tom Baker's curator for a couple of series. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Once yeah, we get yeah. past those, 
we can start to worry. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a little story um, John Nathan Turner had he requested that the statue of, of Colin Baker was built for some reason. I seem to remember that from the DVD. Yeah, yeah, I, I watched the, the making of and Eric Saywood um, says that that was, that was put in at John Nathan Turner's request. Apparently, for his living room or something, was it? No. <laughs> well, <let> me... <laughs> Probably. Because no, Eric Saywood had said that he didn't really understand the reason why. I think, I think the guess was John Nathan Turner became aware of the sculpture. He was able to do it and maybe they could use it at, uh, at conventions. Because funnily enough, I was watching a, um, the, the interview between Matthew Sweet and Sophie Aldred uh, on the season 26 Blu-ray box set and there's a fo- there's footage of Sophie Aldred's very first appearance at a Doctor Who convention which was actually before she appeared in the show um, and on st- and on stage you actually see so this was after Resurrection of the Daleks was broadcast but I think before Time on the Rani is this um, the story she told that we heard what um, when Sophie Aldred was on stage when we went to see her and she she told the story of her first convention about um, winning the spot winning the guest spot on the show yes yeah that's it yeah yeah um, so she, you know she tells that story and you actually have f- uh, video footage of that convention which is quite nice but then on the stage they've actually got that statue sculpture which appears in oh, uh, Revelation of the Daleks so it, it's there so uh <laughs> What do you mean, oh God? <laughs> I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? it? It's a good sculpture, sorry. No, no, the sculpture's <laughs> great. Uh, the guy who did it, I think, does a very good job. I mean, because it's clear... But the problem is... It's clearly um, polystyrene. Mm. I mean... Uh, and well, of course it is. It doesn't hurt him. <laughs> well, yeah, because... Uh, because apparently, because I was reading this in um, the Sixth Doctor Handbook, which was a book published in the mid-90s, I think. And mm. the, they talk about the sculpture there. And the idea was that ideally they would they would have liked it to have been made thicker, but that would have increased the cost. Mm. Uh, and apparently the idea was that when when it, when the, the statue originally topples over, blood was supposed to come out of the eyes of the statue. Um, you know so they had some interesting ideas of how it was going to look but it was due to you know time and cost and all that now the guy who did the sculpture i think does a very good job um you know if you just look at the you know look at it front on it's a very good likeness of colin baker um and it looks fine the the problem is it's really how it's utilized in the story and how it how how it forms the cliffhanger to episode one that's interesting the, the thing you said about the blood coming out the eyes because when the doctor stands up he has blood on him he's like oh it's just fake blood didn't yeah. quite didn't quite fit no did davros make it out of polystyrene because did he not want to kill the doctor at this point <laughs> it was all part of his plan to lure the doctor in there <laughs> it's it's one of those things where a, a ridiculous element of the plot is is just written off with a superbly overdramatic line of dialogue from the villain because i mean davros has so we have this character who is apparently uh was a friend of the doctors and very well respected 
Arthur Stagnos. Stagnos? Stangard and Stagnos. Anyway, this dude, right, uh, he's dead. He's dead. Uh, he, you know, he ceased to be. So that's the reason why... The, and apparently he's interned in this place called Tranquil Repose. Hence the reason why the Doctor has visit, visited to um, pay his respects. But that's that's part of Davros's plan to lure the Doctor there in the first place. So Davros didn't need to create the statue of the Doctor. It's crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. And that's the thing. Even Because even Perry, when they first encounter it, said, maybe it's a gag. Maybe someone's made it as a joke. And then the Doctor goes, a joke? Do you know how much something like that would have cost? It's a bit too expensive for someone to, you know... Uh, <laughs> someone to play a you know to play games but apparently yeah davros has got money to fritter away he's just spent a ridiculous amount of money <laughs> making this huge tomb sculpture thing of the doctor to mark his demise as a means of pretending to crush him to death so this is the question rob is it a good cliffhanger yes it's a good cliffhanger because it makes no sense <laughs> I wonder how much it cost in real life, and was that a dig? Was that like a meta reference? Yeah, except let's put this as we've cost this stupid amount of money to make this daft thing. But anyway. So I might read from the inner booklet of the DVD. By his own admission, Eric Saywood felt that he handled the Daleks rather badly in his script for Resurrection of the Daleks in 84, and so wanted another chance to try and redeem both himself and Scarrow's finest, drawn inspiration from bleak subject matter of Evelyn Worf's darkly comic novel The Loved One. Saywood injects the story with real menace and horror, whilst at the same time having immense fun with the, the slick and witty dialogue. <laughs> at the time of revelation of the Daleks' transmission, Doctor Who had just been consigned to an 18-month hiatus by the BBC bosses, um, who criticised the series for being too violent and horrific, whilst also being staid and stagnant. How iconic that revelation of the Daleks is perhaps one of the most imaginative and innovative stories um, that the series ever presented. It's definitely a story that just defies your expectations. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, Doctor Who tends to to do that on occasion. I mean, it's a, it's it's a unique and sometimes very bizarre show, and sometimes perhaps maybe we take that for granted. But uh, along comes a story which, yeah, as as you said, completely balls you over. Yeah. I mean, even today, Revelation of the Daleks is a bizarre story. Even 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 in terms of Doctor Who, it's it's. Uh, it's odd it's unusual um, I mean it was funny because when we were watching this because as I said before I, I was watching the um, the uh, the making of documentary and at the beginning of it you know they're showing footage of the story but you've got these voice clips of the people that they interview who were part of making the story I'm sorry if, if, if anyone gets the DVD and watches the beginning of that documentary may hopefully you get what i mean it cracks me up laughing because they got all these voices and just going oh it was a, it was a dark story it was very dark and then you got someone else going yeah yo yes it was dark it was you know it had some very black dark humor <laughs> i'm exaggerating it slightly but not much and then and then you just go and then you got Terry and i going oh yes it was a dark story it was had a you can almost taste how dark it was you <laughs> know just well he couldn't see yeah just like <laughs> 
exactly. That's because you had a mask and you can't see out of it, Terry. Um, I, I just, it's like, we get it. It's dark. Oh, it just cracks me up. I can't take the beginning of that documentary seriously. It, I just think it's hilarious. But it's just like, so I think it's to say, safe to say, Rob, that Revelation of the Daleks is a dark story. Very dark story. Mm. <laughs> so I think we'll have a look at the cast and crew. Um, the Doctor, old Sixy himself, played by the one and only Colin Baker. Um, Perry, Nicola Bryant, Davros, Terry Malloy, returning for this story from his appearance in Resurrection of the Daleks. It's a very similar formula to um, Resurrection, potentially, but it comes across completely fresh and bizarre. So, uh, succeeded in that respect. Um, Kara is played by Elena Bron, um, who made a brief appearance in City of Death. Vogel Hugh Walters. Jobel Clive Swift, who returns for Voyage of the Damned. Uh, I thought that was a really good performance. Oh yeah, fantastic. I think uh, Clive Swift's appearance in Voyage of the Damned. I mean, I like I like that. I think that's probably one of my favourite Christmas specials. Um, and his character is just just that thing at the end of you know at the very end of that story that he'd be able to afford a house that has a chair and windows uh, i remember that scene it's 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 just one and he plays it so well it's 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 a lovely scene and um, tasambika by jenny thomason Tarkis by trevor cooper uh, Lilt by Colin Spell. Um, we've met him. Oh, yes, we have. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I got him to sign my Series 4 box set because he was in Rise of the Cybermen. Yeah, he was. I remember... <laughs> sorry. Lovely bloke and everything. And I feel, but didn't we have a laugh because uh, he went to sign it and because um, what he was signing actually had quite a dark cover. A very dark. Yeah, yeah, very, very dark. So he went. He went. Oh, I'll sign that in black then. Which he did, and he's just going. So uh. you, you've signed it in a color that we can't read. <laughs> Sorry, but nice bloke. But yeah. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> uh, DJ played by Alexi Sale, most familiar to me through from the young ones. He's probably had most exposure from a role. That you don't identify him with, but he was in the Last Crusade. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Orsini by William Gaunt. Bostock uh, is John Ogwen, and then we have the uh, the Snatchers. We have Grigory by Stephen Flynn, Natasha by Bridget Lynch Blows, Head of Arthur Stengos. I love how he's credited as the Head of Arthur Stengos. Alec Linstead, Computer Voice by. Penelope Lee. The key crew for the story was Eric Saywood, of course, as the writer. He wrote uh, The Visitation, Earthshock, and Resurrection of the Daleks. The director was Graham Harper. He'd previously directed The Caves of Androzani. It's probably quite a familiar name to um, fans of the new era. He directed uh, Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel. Army of Ghosts, Doomsday, 42, Utopia, Time Crash, Planet of the Ood, The Unicorn, The Wasp, Turn Left, The Stolen Earth, Journey's End, and Waters of Mars. Quite a substantial lineup. Yeah, and um, I mean, he has a he has an absolutely amazing career in general, but in terms of Doctor Who, 
I mean, he he worked as second unit director. I mean, he's been with the sh he's been involved in the show. You know, you know, he was there during the seventies, there during the eighties. In terms of, as you said, the case of Mangazzoni in this story, and he's the only director of the classic series who's come back to return episodes of the new. And of course, the producer was JNT. I can't be bothered to name all the things he's done. Doctor Who. I know it's. I mean, we sort of joke about it, but I mean, it's sad because again, I was watching uh, the Showman, which is a documentary about John Avon Turner. Uh, you know, his entire life, and that's on the season twenty-six uh, Blu-ray box set. And it's really, it's really sad because actually, you know, he was the youngest producer ever. I mean, he was thirty-two when he became producer of Doctor Who, the youngest producer of the BBC, and you know, just had this absolutely amazing career ahead of him, but. Doctor Who completely killed it. It's really sad. And then, you know, following the show's cancellation, um, found it very, very difficult to, to find work. It's it's one of the... Yeah, it's um, it's sad. I was going to say we'll dive into part one, but I watched this story as a two-parter. Did you watch it as a four-parter? No, no, as a, as a two-parter. As a two-parter, yeah, because it, does it exist as a um, four-parter on home release? No, it's, it's, um, it was funny because I think eventually at some point, I think it was repeated. I think maybe at some point in the early 90s they, they repeated it, but then they, they cut it down into 25-minute lengths. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they also did that when they sold it to America originally back in the 80s. Uh, and if you watch the cliffhangers... Um, They're just not really cliffhangers at all. Oh, they are bizarre. It's actually quite hilarious. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they could easily be regarded as the worst cliffhangers ever. But then, of course, it wasn't intended to be because this this is the one season of Doctor, of classic Doctor Who where we don't have 25, 25 minute episode lengths. These are full forty five minutes. But it's interesting because if you think you're gonna if you can compare it to modern Doctor Who, which has that length as standard, although they've recently increased it. But you know, for Eccleston, uh, Tennant, and Smith. And Capaldi, you know, forty-five minute length episodes. There's, you know, there's no comparison because the the pacing, even, even in the eighties, is it's completely different. So in part one, um, the TARDIS arrives on the planet Necros. We see um, an establishing shot of the planet. Um, Perry exits the TARDIS uh, dressed in blue, and the Doctor comes out with his blue cape. Um, it works really well. In contrast with the snow, was the snow just incidental? Do you think? Well, actually, it was a, it was a complete mistake uh, because they obviously decided on the the locations that they were going to film in, uh, and got most of it set up. And then the following morning, everything it, it snowed, and no one had expected it. And it's one of those I think happy accidents because I think it lends the location footage. It gives it a a, a really nice look. Um, and a, a quite a nice atmosphere. Um, so it was, I think it was, you know, it was a, a very happy accident. The hand comes out of the water and grabs Perry's lunch. Does he explode? What happened? No, I th yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. Um, yeah, because I think the, I think we're supposed to infer that that is the mutant that we see later shortly. on, mm. uh, unless. Unless I've completely misunderstood something, and it's supposed to actually be, because um, the mutant that we see later, you know, it's it's you know he's actually one of the results of Davros's experiments. So maybe this was another of Davros's experiments, um, 
Yeah, he didn't just go for a swim, eat Perry's <laughs> lunch underwater, semi-explode, and then and then catch up with them later on. Yeah, so maybe that's me being a bit dim. But I, like I just... he can, it's I find it unreal that he can survive an explosion, but then he dies by being just well, battered a bit by Perry. Well, maybe the explosion weakened him. I mean, in all fairness, all what it is, it's you know, it's not really like an explosion that with fire and flames. It's just maybe it was maybe it was a belch. I love how Perry's like, um, she's convinced that she's murdered him. <laughs> you know, I killed him. He, he forgive me. But she literally just hit him a few times. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's. Um, I thought you were going to say you liked her reaction when she chucked the nut roast into the, the lake. That was by lunch. Oh, yeah. But it's the last time I make anything that's been cooked by you. Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. So we have—I mean, I think it's absolutely hilarious that um, John Nathan Turner had approached Laurence Olivier to see if he'd be interested in playing the mutant. I mean, imagine if, if Laurence Olivier had said yes. I just think it's—I mean, nice try, John Nathan Turner. But come on, really? If you're going to offer, you know, uh, Lawrence Olivia a part, give him something a bit more substantial than that. I just, but that just cracked me up. I just think it's amazing. Um, but sadly, it's not Lawrence Olivia. So Olivia. So yeah. So this, um, the Doctor gets attacked by this mutant in um, in what I, what is oh, I don't know. What do you think of the fight? He gets strangled, and then they so go. They they basically cuddle each other, and then and then. Oh, and then he gets. Then he kind of. He tries to hypnotize him before this, and then. Yes. He lunges at him. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, and then he sort of um, pulls the doctor's hair. Colin Baker looks like he's in pain. Then they sort of uh, they they sort of cuddle and fall, and then roll down a bit of hill, get covered in snow. Um, Perry has managed to find a twig. And hits the mutant at the back of the head. <laughs> she murders him. <laughs> she murders him. I mean, that's the thing. I think um, the scene when between the Doctor Perry and the mutant and the the, the talking, because it gives it one. It's it's narratively important because it gives because uh, the mutant mentions the fact that he's been he's been made into this condition because of scientific experiments by this person called the Great Healer. So that gives uh, the clue that the Doctor was like, hmm, who is this great here that this guy needs looking at? So narratively, it's important. I think the scene itself between them and then the mutant dies and Perry is uh, is distraught because he dies because she attacked him. Uh, and I, li- I like that scene and I like how it's written and I like how it's performed. But the reason why we're sort of laughing at it is because the previous scene, it's sort of, it, it doesn't marry up with it, it doesn't his yeah, that's, here. yeah it doesn't it doesn't quite marry up i mean i th- i think that's the thing you know we were su- i think we're supposed to infer that the fight that we're seeing is supposed to be a bit more violent than it actually is but they've they've forced to temper it a bit i mean had perry picked up a rock rather than a stick i think maybe that you know you could have got right I can marry the two things up, and that's fine. It's, um, but as it is, it's yeah, it's it's a bit of a funny one. I mean, I don't think it's awful, but I just think it's one of those things that could have been executed a little bit better. The Doc and Perry find uh, this blue flower, um, good source of protein, <laughs> becomes relevant later on. Yeah, and again, it's it's one of, it's one of those one of those things. It's because uh, when when we were reviewing um, Earthshock. 
which is your favourite Peter Davison story. Um, we were talking about how Eric Saywood had woven in certain aspects, which you would think, oh, they've just chucked this in just for the sake of it. But actually, you know, then three, four episodes later, they, they pick up on it and it's sort of, it's plotted quite well and woven in. So again, it's one of those scenes where um, you would think, oh, maybe it's just a little bit of, because Perry's supposed to be a botanist. Um, so maybe they've just put in this little scene to, you know, remind us and it's a nice little character moment. You know, she's into into nature and all. She's just, you know, she's interested in this this plant. Apparently it has the same source of protein as um, and soybean. Oh, and she, yeah. she takes it. She says she'll check it out when she gets back home. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not happening. <laughs> so, again, it's it's one of those things It's quite a nice scene and I like it. Um, but as you say, it's it actually becomes essential to the plot at the very end. Now, is this um, this blue flower, this source of protein, is it just a, a viable alternative to um, what's really happening at the end of the story? Or is it something more profound, like, we don't need to eat meat, let's have soy protein? <laughs> well, actually, that's a good point. So, because this, this follows on from um, The Two Doctors. Uh, which was written by Robert Holmes, and Robert Holmes was a vegetarian. And in the in that, you know, we have these these aliens called Andragum, and that's basically the sort of this funny, grotesque look at um, you know uh, the gluttony of, of of eating. And at the end of the story, you know, the, the Doctor and Perry decide on becoming vegetarians. So it's sort of it's inferred at the beginning of this story that. They are part, you know. They eat, you know. They're eating a vegetarian diet because it's, it's, because actually Perry says, you know, what she, what she, you know, she would kill for a burger. <laughs> um, I mean, she's American, so it ties into that, I suppose. But you know, she, she, she'd love to have a burger, but she's eating a nut roast um, thing, which the doctor, you know, so it's continuing that. But yeah, so it does probably marry up to that thing that they they were writing into the development of the doctor's character. I mean, it's not massive, but yeah, it's yeah, maybe. Uh, you don't. You don't need to be a cannibal. You can. You can eat. You can eat plants. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so shortly after this, we see the interior of the the funeral service with Joba. We also meet the DJ very abruptly, which um, pulls you out of it. It's a bit of an odd moment. What's happened? <laughs> oh, yeah, and then we, we do. We do um, then meet Davros right after this. So it's. They don't hold off on a reveal. He's introduced quite early on, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point in the show's history, it was, uh, I think it was sort of inevitable that, you know, you're going to have a Dalek story, so Davros is going to turn up. And the Daleks are in the title. So mm. why, you know, why delay on the reveal? Because I think, you know, it's one of those things, he, you know, since his introduction in Genesis of the, da Genesis of the Daleks, every single... Dark story since you know Davros that you know and this isn't classic era, you know he appears in every dark story since and I think um, you know if you were to de delay his reveal it would have you know what are you trying to do a surprise it's a bit of a it's a bit of a fail I mean it's because yeah. this is it's the same with the Daleks as well because we know that the Daleks are going to be in the story and you know, they're you know they're introduced you know, very early on. We get a scene where. The camera pans down through different corridors, and instantly I thought of that awful scene in Earthshock, which was also a, 
Eric Seward story where the the, the three rows of Cybermen are walking towards the camera, but it's blatantly the same shot spliced together. <laughs> Which was less effective. I was wondering, did you think the corridor scene was effective? Or, or a bit silly? No, I didn't think it was silly. I mean, I could see why they were doing it because, you know, the, the, I think it was, a, it was a good decision because what you're trying to do is you're trying to, sh what Graham Harper, the director, was trying to do was show that through through doing that, that this is a um you know this is a this is a place which a large facility yeah it's a large facility it goes all the way down it has several floors beneath the main one and which which is mentioned in the dialogue but it's a thing of going well we've got an opportunity here to actually sort of sh indicate that i think it's fine in terms of the effect of it um it, it doesn't quite work and i no. think the reason being the only reason being it's sort of it's it's just one of those things. It's technical limitations of the time, um, yeah. and at least they tried. And I think what it is, it's because the, the 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 floors don't look particularly thick. No, and the perspective um, is a static perspective. It's mm. scrolling upwards. You know, the perspective the perspective of each corridor doesn't change as the as the imagery moves. No, so, that's yeah. That's so true. if you were if you are going down in an elevator with the door open, your perspective would change as either the position of your, of your eyes move. Um, mm. So yeah, it's not photorealistic. <laughs> and I think maybe a bit of throwaway dialogue like, hmm, I'm going down to level seven. Okay, <laughs> it's got different floors. <laughs> that would have done it. Well, no, I mean, because they mentioned that, oh, they mentioned the catacombs, which we see as a set. Uh, mm. You know, and they mention uh, uh, they there are intruders on level three. So as I said before, you know, it's mentioned in the dialogues. So that's fine, but you know, Graham Harper thought, well, let's have this opportunity to show it. Um, and I think it's f it's one of those things you sort of forgive the show because of the technical limitations of the time, and then you go, well, if you haven't got the abilities to to do it, why try it in the first place? But you know. Um, you know, if you don't if you don't try, then you know you don't push things forward. It's not an, it's not an entire failure, but at the same time, you because it's one of those things. I get what you're trying to convey. It sort of works. I think the limitation of it is really to do, it's it's like what you've said. You're aware that really what they've done is they're filmed the the same set three times with people walking across, walking away from the camera, walking towards, and then they've done this thing where they've then put them together so you're panning down with these black bars going across the screen to represent the 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 gaps in the floor you know, the, the different floor levels um but they look a bit too thin but then maybe if they were a bit too thick it would look a bit stupid as well yeah you know and it's, oh. it's a brief moment there's but... worse moments in this story um Ooh, like okay. the, the, yes we'll get there mm, okay <laughs> So the DJ um, sees quite a lot. He sees the the mutant attack outside the facility. Um, he sees he observes the snatchers. Okay, mm -hmm. and it's like he he um, he sees more than the facility's security probably does. Yeah, he's um, well. When I was watching it again, uh, he it sort of reminded me of King Lear. You know, for frick's sake, really. Um, in the sense of uh, in in that play, you've got the fool, 
and uh, he's actually the one character within the story who actually knows what's going on he's the one character that sees and knows everything so even though he's the fool he's actually the, the one character who, who truly knows what's going on and he's the one who's more tapped in and clued, clued up about stuff and and so I was thinking you know the DJ character um, reminded me of that you know he's the one character who comes across as frivolous and is supposed to provide this this sort of um, this, this this tacky service of trying to uh, inform because the idea is that um, it's a planet that deals with death so it does actually so sometimes it does bury people but then it also puts people in perpetual oh, what, what's the phrase that the story uses perpetual instatement perpetual instatement that's it so really they're they're unconscious uh, on while they wait for a cure for a disease that they may be suffering from yes so oh, the idea uh, that, that reminds me of them um, he pulls all the bits of paper out of his pocket and there's a message mm. to George from his wife um, oh yes uh, <laughs> I think that's he, probably my favourite scene with the, with the DJ in that particular scene um, he says that um, George's wife um, she's talking about she's been doing research for a cure because George is terminally ill um, but it turns out they found a cure a long time ago <laughs> yeah and it's just that thing it just got oh, they found a cure for Beck syndrome 20 years ago still it'd be interesting to know what she's really done with the money um, yeah I, I you know I, I, I like that scene a lot um, so it's this idea that you know so even so he's supposed to be keeping those in perpetual and statement fully up to date so when they were to come out of come out of that you know that they're not completely clueless about you know the change in societies that that's taken place um what so he's that sort of that, that, that character who's supposed to be the fool and frivolous and but he's actually the one who is able to see and know know all i do mm. love it it does give me one of my my other favorite moment in the story where, where davros is watching all, all this and it's just it's terry delivery of the line which is shut the fool off i can't do it but I just love that delivery. It just cracked me up. But um, what 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 do you think of the DJ character? Well, I'm not sure um, if the story needs the DJ character. Mm. You said that um, made the compassionate king Lear and um, perhaps he has a position where he kind of holds connects these strands of the narrative together because he knows what's going on and he's providing the narrative to the viewer. Um, about some things, um, some maybe it does serve um, service the story. Well, that's in a good thing. Way. I don't think it does. I mean, um, I think what makes the character work is the fact that it's performed by Alexi Sale. You know, and I quite like Alexi Sale, as you say. You know, he was in the Young Ones. Uh, I loved his um, the Alexi Sale show. I think it was called. I might have had a bit more imagined title, but you know, this 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 sketch show that that he did in the eighties and the nineties, and uh, I've seen some of his stand up routine. You know, and I quite like, you know, you know, and the fact that you know that type of alternative comedian appeared in Doctor Who, I think is really good, and I think he gives a a good performance of the character, and he's also a very decent character because he he's you know he's one of the few people that Perry encounters who doesn't want to sexually molest her, mm. um, you know, especially in this story because you know she, the poor thing's got Joe Bell chasing after her. But the thing is, where, where is where, 
when I said I was comparing the character to King Lear, I think what I was doing, I was recognising that that sort of archetype um, of the character. But whereas, whereas it works in King Lear is because the fool is, is woven into the narrative. Um, here, I don't, th I don't think he, I don't think he is. I think you could, you could easily write the character out of the story, and it doesn't, it doesn't affect really anything other than the fact that, well, what do you do with Perry? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it gives, you know, it gives Perry someone to talk to, uh, encounter the Daleks, and then experience. You know the death of that character. Yeah, it yeah it kind of elevates the kind of bleakness of it all because she finds someone nice, someone she trusts, um, and someone who dies. So she she ends up in a worse position than um, she was because she she's, she's um, experiencing loss here. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing as well that I think is is uh, important to to the show at this point because previously you know the relationship that we'd seen between the doctor and perry is one that you know they they, they argue an awful lot in fact it's joked on at the very end of mark of the rani whereas in here there's a bit more warmth to the characters and they're able to mm. you know to joke and, and all the rest of it but the doctor is a lot more caring about her in the story um you know if you, if you look at that moment when they when they encounter each other again first thing that the doctor says you know is you know he you know seeing if perry's okay and asks you know and actually says you know i'm sorry about the dj and comforts her so you know it, it, it I, in terms of the actual the actual plot of the story the dj doesn't really add much but what he does do you know it, he adds um you know the, the threat of the daleks are there and it allows the doctor to comfort perry so it allows some for some character moments so it's a bit odd he sort of he doesn't really serve as the plot but he does allow to facilitate character development yeah and I think had they gave Alexis Sale um, a more boring character um, maybe it would have been a waste of his talents <laughs> yeah yeah so the Doctor's more caring now I wonder if that was something to do with the characterisation this season if that was like, like a bit of a directive they had well I mean the this season had had already been largely complete by the time that it had been decided that Doctor Who was to be cancelled and then it actually was just it was put in hiatus. Um, the decision was actually made whilst the series was being broadcast. I think it was between episodes two and three of the two Doctors that it was announced to the public that the show was to be um, paused. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of interest because actually when that decision was made plans had already been put in place for what was to be the original season 23 so not the trial of the time Lord, but the original idea for it um they, they you know they'd already decided on on stories directors had already been um allocated they actually spent money already for the original season 23 and i was reading um oh i forgot the, i forgot the chap's name but he did this biography of John Nathan Turner um, a few years back, and I was reading that, and it, they, they were talking about the hiatus, and they gave the figure, you know, thousands of pounds were wasted due to that that decision to put the show on hiatus. And the guy who wrote the biography made the point of going, you know, had that decision been made now, the big news story would be, you know, um, BBC throws away, you know, uh, you know, a figure of the license fee, which we, the, you know, public pay 
Um, so that decision had 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 already been made. So I think, yeah. Did did they say in what capacity the money was spent? It, well, it was a, it was a, it was a few things. It was uh, some obviously Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant were paid um, for being on contract. They had already con- they'd already um, contracted actors to appear in the stories. Directors had already been allocated. So uh, you've also had the writing of the script, and then you've got the standard production where you know, for example, um, the storage of the TARDIS set because that costs money as well to put that in storage. So it was it was all those things. So the decision, I think, to, as as we see here, of the Doctor and Perry's relationship warming up was part and parcel of the original plan that the only thing that the decision to put the story the season on hold uh, affected the very end of this story but we'll, we'll get on to that we meet the character Kara um, as Davros speaks to her I wonder if she was a significant character to the story we see the exterior of Kara's um, factory um, it's very purple so it's definitely a different planet um, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and Davros is on demanding, well, requesting more money, as he puts it, more mildly. So it's a weird position for Davros. Um, he's not some wannabe totalitarian Dalek creator. He's he's out living a life um, in a funeral slash care home, watching a DJ every day. He's got this working relationship with um, business partners. Um, so Davros is really living a life here. He's got his own identity. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd love to have you sum that up. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's... It, you know, he, it's kind of a facade. Of a, for, yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah, it, it's a facade, exactly. But, I mean, I love this. I mean, the fact that we have Eleanor Braun back in the series, because as you said, you know, she had a cameo appearance at the end of... Uh, in the, the final episode of City of Death, but here she's you know playing a fully fledged character, and I love Eleanor Braun. You know she was, she was part of you know the the, the satire boom in Britain during the nineteen sixties. She you know she appeared in the original film of Bedazzled. She's appeared in also she appeared in an episode of Yes Minister. You know she appeared in the Beatles movie Help. Um, you know so, so she was a big part of. Um, you know, British comedy culture in the 60s and the 70s and here she is, you know, she's she's in Doctor Who. I love her character. And I think a big part of the fact that I love her character is the fact that Eleanor Braun is playing it and I absolutely love her performance. And I absolutely... I adore that scene where uh, her character and Davros are having that conversation and Davros is pretending that he's, you know, he's this philanthropic character and all nice. But his, but his, but his anger... Um, you know, comes through and then he tries to retreat. And I think this is one of the things as well because I think Terry Malloy's performance in Revelation of the Daleks here is a lot stronger than his first appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he gave a perfectly perfectly reasonable performance in his first story, uh, Resurrection of the Daleks. But here, because he's given a lot more to work with, he's able to, you know bring in subtleties for the character he you know he doesn't fully rant he does on occasion but that's because it lends itself to the character more and it's 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 much more nuanced and so you get these great moments where you know where he you know where he, he's 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 gone i don't want to hear any more from your prattling tongue and just goes you know, and then you know realizing it's just oh crap it's just like 
I want, I, I need more money. You know, just that, that wonderful, I think it's a great scene and a great performance. I really, really like it. And then Elna Bron, you know, doing that thing of, you know, going, oh, please forgive me, because she mentions uh, Davros's real name, because Davros is actually the great healer, which we heard heard of previously, um, with the death of the mutant. Um, and so she, she accidentally mentions his name over at Opal Channel, and he goes, don't do that. She goes, oh, I'm terribly sorry. And then, you know, they, and then they have a bit of a laugh. Then the conversation ends. Yeah, <laughs> made me think of Zoom chats actually. <laughs> but uh, Davros, he's not really fooling anyone, is he? <laughs> no, he's he's not. He kind he kind of breaks his um, breaks his character for a moment. Yeah, when he gets a bit angry, then but then he kind of reverses it. But uh, he's not fooling her. <laughs> she knows no, no. who he is. But then at the same time, she's not fooling him. It's a, it's a great it's a great dynamic. Um, I like how it's written and I love how it's performed. And the episode's progressed quite a bit, but we haven't seen much of the Doctor and Perry yet. Um, they're still walking around outside. They're looking for a way in, and the Doctor says he's 900. A noteworthy number there. He's always 900 for a while. <laughs> no, he's 953 in time in the Rani. I love the banter they have when um, they're having to go at each other's weight. And they're climbing over the wall. Um, one thing I was a bit confused by, what happens, you know, when um, he helps Perry up first, um, and what what happened then? Why was he annoyed? I was annoyed because when he was helping Perry up, obviously she kicks him. There's a, there's a story in the... I'll get onto that in a second. Um but the idea, she actually, the idea is that she's actually kicked his his um, pocket watch, and has oh, therefore right. broken it, uh, helping her over the wall. So that's why oh. he's annoyed, and that's why you know when he pulls his pocket watch out, and then all the glass comes out. Right. Okay. Uh, that wasn't so th- that wasn't that clear. Um, so that's that whole conversation. Now, I'm going to completely change the way that you forever see this uh, that scene. Because actually what happened... And it's amazing that Connor Baker continues to play that scene. Um, what happened was... When they were filming that scene and it's there... Um, when Nicola Bryant... you know, she, she accidentally kicked Colin Baker... <laughs> right in the... Yeah, she Where? kicked him... Yeah, she kicked him there, right? Now obviously, that's extreme. It's extremely painful to be kicked there. Uh, obviously, it was it was accidental. Uh, how Colin Baker continues to play that scene without showing how much pain he's in is testament to the man of how. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just bloody hell. Uh, you know, it's it's only a bloody television program. If you'd be kicked in the balls, some some performance, <laughs> and it really is because you just got oh, you just can't tell. It's, anyway, yeah, so. For, Next time you watch that scene, Colin Baker's playing that moment having after Nicola Bryan has just kicked him in the bollocks. Ah. The more you know. Yeah. So we have these intruders in the facility. Entering the catacombs. Some nice kind of reliefs on the wall. So I'm guessing before this facility was here, it was still a place um a rest of um it's like it's built on top on top of something ancient. 
Yeah, I think almost. the I think what we're supposed to infer is that you know this is a planet that has dealt with with death for an you know for for a long time, and it's you know its culture, its civilization sort of set, surrounds on it. That's why it's become this place uh, that is is recognised for for dealing with death. And there's pyramids there as well. I, I, I wasn't sure if they were ancient pyramids or something more contemporary, like just the architecture of the facility. Well, I think I, th- I think that goes into the idea as well because I would assume that the designers of the story would go, "Well, this is a planet that deals with death, and how does that, how do we convey that?" Um, well, you know, um, pyramids, tombs, catacombs, and all the rest of it. So I think it all it all ties up to the idea and the imagery. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and when they're walking through the catacombs, they enter a room with um, brains in tanks. And then they find a transparent Dalek. I mean, that's quite a good prop, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, the yeah. dimensions are perfect. Um, and they've managed to replicate it. Um, fully transparent. Yeah, David Whittaker, uh, when he was um, script editor during the Hartnell era, uh, had apparently wanted to have a glass Dalek, but they couldn't afford a prop. So I think maybe this was an idea that, you know, I mean, that maybe lingered on, lingered on for, for many, many years. And wouldn't it be really good if we were able to depict a glass Dalek or a transparent Dalek? And as mm. you said, the, the, the way that it's, um, the way that it's, it's you know, it looks, it, it's great. They've got all the dimensions. It's, it's Perfect. They didn't make any compromises, which you'd think they'd be tempted to do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the a lot of the Dalek, the, the dome has made um, fiberglass from a cast. But yeah, the dimensions are spot on. Yeah, and it looks great. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it marries up with... Because I really like how Graham Harper shoots all this scene because, you know, we have we have camera shots, you know, you know, um, partially shot through this uh, this transparent Dalek and, you know, you've got this this purple lighting and uh, and then you've got the sound effects in the background. It's a, it's a really effective scene. It's very atmospheric. We see a half-mutated person inside the Dalek. The, this is Davros's experiment. This is a great plan. He's um, turning people into Daleks, kind of replicating what he did on Scarrow mm-hmm. back at the Genesis. And the mutated person that the Doctor and Perry found outside is a, a failed part of that experiment. And the person in in the Dalek is actually um, Arthur Stengos, the character who had died and the, the doctor came to see and also this supposed snatcher but the intruder Natasha that's her father yes so yeah. we have this um this tragic scene where he's very self-aware uh, Stengos mm-hmm. and talking to his daughter but then the Dalek in him kind of overcomes him and he becomes a threat so his humanity he, just goes in an instant. That's a good scene. Yeah, it's um, it's genuinely horrific that that whole scene. Um, and I think it's it's probably one of the most powerful because the way one the way that they've um, made what was clearly you know a human or a humanoid uh, turning into a, a Dalek mutant. I mean that's very effective makeup and prosthetics and. The way that it moves and it looks like it's breathing and it's—I mean, it's 
it's, it's horrible. But it, it look, you know, it's fantastic. It you know really you know it looks like what it's trying to convey. I think it's uh, it's it's a very effective um, special effect, if you like, um, which is which is handled really well by Alec Linstead's performance as, as Arthur Stengos, because as you said, he's he he's he's sort of I don't know he's sort of like schizophrenic because he's part because he's still going through this process he, he we get those those moments of the man he once was and then also you know that that dollar conditioning that that's coming through so as you said you know we get these moments where he's talking to Natasha his daughter as the father and then partway through that conversation then he starts talking like a Dalek um and it, it's 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 performed in, uh, incredibly well it's a very powerful scene and then it leads up to Natasha having to kill her own father I mean this is um it uh, it's sort of like this you know it's it's moments like that where you, you go it's it's like Greek tragedy really the, the, you know but put through this mad science fiction Doctor Who filter um but it's 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 very it's very powerful um and I think you know it's it's certainly one of the, the strongest moments in the story you know and it's um you know and it's it's one of those scenes where it ties everything up because you know we as you said you know this is arthur stengos the very man that the doctor came to the planet to pay his respects for in the first place um so you know, all these things start tying up really well it's uh, it's very well written yeah and what becomes of these characters um Natasha and the other guy are they are they captured yes because as soon as uh, Natasha kills her father and the whole Dalek blows up mm-hmm. they run out of the catacombs but that's when they're when they are stopped by um, two security guards and Lilt and I've forgotten the name of the other character um uh, Tarkis yes yes so they so they get um, imprisoned and interrogated. A lot of characters in this story are like paired together, and one pairing that gets introduced is Orsini and Bostock, which adds a, a, a different dynamic to the story. Kara enlists um, Orsini. Um, he's kind of this noble knight who is now a bit of a mercenary. But tells himself he's doing this um, to regain his honor, and he's got this um, faulty hydraulic leg. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. and I love uh, I love that ho- I love that whole thing when you know the way that he's introduced. Yeah, and he's like, that. oh, I don't dare sit down because my hydraulic leg breaks up, yeah. and then and Kara's like, I have such admiration for you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole thing. It's just because it's just like you know, it's. A, to go, I, I I prefer to I prefer to stand, and she sort of romanticizes the whole thing of going, oh you you know it's it's to you know see him ready poised and all the rest. Of it. It's fantastically played and wonderfully written and generally funny. It's just like no, nothing so overly dramatic. It's just that I have a <laughs> I have a dodgy hydraulic. That it's just like, and then I love um, what's the name of the assistant of um, uh, Bostock or Cena's assistant or Kara's? Kara's is it is it Vogel? Vogel, that's it. Yes, um, and the way he, he, he has looked... he has the best death in this story. Oh, he really does. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But um, I think he's probably one of the best Dalek deaths ever. Um, but the way he just looks, it goes. Perhaps you would like someone for us to repair it for you. Um, 
I mean, this is the thing as well, because uh, the story is well known for being quite funny, but it's, uh, you know, but it's quite, uh, you know, it's it's black, you know, black humour. As we know, it's, the story is quite dark. So, uh, you know, it's this wonderful, this wonderful use of, of black humour and it's just fantastic. And Clive Swift, who plays Joe Bell and, as we said, later appears in Voyage of the Damned, he's uh, more famous for appearing in an ongoing sitcom during the 90s called Keeping Up Appearances which was immensely popular although to be perfectly honest I don't understand why because I don't think it was particularly funny which is a bit of a problem for a comedy uh, and I think Clive Swift in this one Doctor Who story is given far much more funny material than he ever did during the entire run of Keeping Up Appearances yeah he was quite a, a subdued character in Keeping Up Appearances Keeping up appearances, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, he was supposed to be playing that sort of that henpecked husband type thing. Yeah. But um, I didn't find that the show particularly sort of like laugh out loud funny. But yeah, it was immensely popular. But it was one of those things where I really didn't get why. Um, but going back to it, yeah, there, there were moments in the story which are genuinely funny, and it's just uh, it's great. And that that scene introducing Orsini is definitely one of them. You know, and the fact that you know, <laughs> just even the whole thing that you know his. His uh, his squire his um, is uh, has very poor hygiene and stinks, <laughs> and Kara's uh, reaction to it all it just yeah that that whole scene just brilliant and it is generally funny. Yeah, they talk about the um, the bad taste in protein, which of course is this um, the protein made from the um, all the dead. Mm. Um, and they reveal that the great healer is Davros, and um, this is where we know. We suspected, but now we know Kara wants him out of the picture. <laughs> because that will mean that she will have the entire... Um, she'll be able to control the entire f- food supply of the whole galaxy. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I love, love that. But yeah, um, so it's, it's all about uh, power, really. So, Kara's got this plan for Orsini. She's devised this transmitter. Um, this very elaborate device to use when he's in the presence of Davros enter a key code and um, it'll simply transmit or will it as uh, it's actually a bomb oh, and I love when um, Orsini just wanders off forgetting the sequence and Kara's like um, I haven't told you the number yet <laughs> so the Doctor and Perry they're still not in the facility yet they almost enter a, a walkway and a Dalek passes by behind mm. Perry in front of the camera. Where does it go? It's literally the turn around. It's right there off off camera, off screen, but how does it in the universe, how did it just go? Yeah. Do you think, just... do you think it took off? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So if that makes sense. I mean I love Perry's reaction to it, because obviously she's never seen a dialogue before. Was what I don't know, it's some sort of machinery. Um it's yeah, it's very odd because again it's like because don't they even say it? It's sort of like there's no way it could have gone, or because yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's odd. Um, but then of course that leads into what we were talking about before. It makes them spot the um, the memorial statue of um, of the Doctor. Oh yes. So do you think the Dalek was leading them to the statue? Yeah. Probably. I mean, that makes we're, sense because. But Davros had it built of polystyrene, filled with fake blood. All part of his master plan. <laughs> All part of his master plan. Fantastic. Only in Doctor Who. I mean, it's truly amazing. Um, 
it's one of those things where the show is so bonkers, but I, lo I love it all the more for it. Because, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's a stupid part of the story. It makes no sense whatsoever. And as a result, it's, it's not a great cliffhanger. No. I mean, I mentioned something earlier, the whole thing, like a comparison to Trenzalore, but it puts the Doctor in a position which he's never been in before, um, mm. talking about his own mortality. And it never comes up much because he's saying, "Oh, he, he assumes he's come to the point um, where he's arrived. He assumes he's arrived at a point after his death, and he's thinking no, no more regenerations." Um, he's really disturbed by this. You don't often see that disturbed look on the doctor's face, do you? No, no. I mean, I mean that's the thing. The the idea of it itself is good, and Colin Baker plays the you know plays that that moment really, really well. And you get yeah, and it's like what you said. You get a sense of how how disturbed the doctor said. Well, he actually says that. You know, I never thought pro the pro confident. I can't say the word. Maybe they could have explored this a bit a bit more. Maybe it could have been a, a bigger theme of the whole story. You know, the doctor's mortality. Yeah, maybe. I don't think it would have hurt the story, but it's it's a good idea and it's played. It you know, Colin Baker plays the part really well. It's just a shame that I think it, it leads up to. Not one of the best cliffhangers of the story. I mean, I think what it is, it's um, because the the it's the idea that this whole thing is going to collapse on the Doctor, and maybe it's this this bizarre irony that the Doctor dies by being killed by his own tombstone. But then, why is the tombstone built in the first place? It makes no sense. Um, but as it collapses towards the camera. Part of the palace stack because obviously it was it was made in I think uh, two or three separate bits of polystyrene put together. It partly comes apart. Was that not intentional? I've always assumed it was a mistake. I mean, it's it, it, if it was supposed to be intentional, then 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 why? Um, straight after this, we're going to part two. Another bizarre moment. Um, Jobel appears. So it's it's very synchronized. Davros is like, right, cue the Dalek. Now hide, lead them to the statue. Now, Jobel, go in. Now you can appear. Now it's it's all very um. Oh, well, no, Jobel wasn't part of um. Davros's master plan, was he? <laughs> no, no, but because he's, he's trying just to, some... he's trying to have him killed off at this point. But yeah, the Doctor stands up, manages to lift the statue easily, covered in fake blood, all as planned. Yeah. So they finally enter the facility, greeted by Tass and Beaker in this grand um, hallway. And she shows them a... It's like a tour of the facility and she shows them a video of the DJ. As if the, as if it's a big selling point. Although, you know, Perry seems quite keen. She does, yeah. Yeah. But the Doctor doesn't. He's like... Um, she's like, just like the DJs on Earth. And he's like... Precisely. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, and I think with the doctor on this one, it's you know because it's you know the whole idea you know it's supposed to be tacky. In fact, because at the leading up to the end of the episode one, they have that conversation where even Perry's a bit you know, tranquil repose. I didn't you know realize your friend would be in place with such a tacky name. You know, it's that whole conversation. The Americans don't hold the monopoly on bad taste and yeah. And all the rest of it, so it ties in with that. It's it's quite you know it's quite nice and slightly amusing. So yeah, um, Orsini and Bostock finally arrive on Necros, um, have a bit of a chat, and then 
boss doc senses trouble and a Dalek is creeping up on them. So they fire upon it and they use bastic bullets. And this is um, something that Russell T. Davis brought back in Pardon of the Ways. Just a quick reference there. <laughs> Davros queries the attack on the Dalek with Kara, so he suspects um, she's after him now. Yes. Oh, yeah. and then he dispatches Daleks um, to supervise her. So it's kind of backfired for her in a big way. Which um, I think is very, sort of, it's very, it's very Eric Saywood. That use of that idea that you know um, this all leads you know this one thing trigger, triggers everything up to basically lead up to everyone dying at the end of the story. Yeah, Jobel kind of takes Perry off. <laughs> Luckily, she backs herself into the room with the DJ. Mm-hmm. He's after her. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Perry's a bit disappointed when she meets the DJ because. His voice on the mic was just this, uh, was all an act, this persona he puts on. Mm-hmm. He's not actually American. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But I mean, it's quite nice that, you know, he was, he had this, this, this affinity for 20th century American rock DJs. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's quite nice that they, you know, they get on. And I, I love the idea of how, um, the DJ is able to defeat a couple of the Daleks by blasting them with rock and roll waves. Yeah. It's like this sound waveform. Mm. I think my memory's a bit distorted because I seem to remember watching it and seeing musical notation flying through the air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish they did that now. And then I was watching it, I was thinking, no, oh, that's a bit more realistic than I remembered. <laughs> Imagine these musical notes just flying through the air, this imagery. I've got this thing of maybe there should have been a mashup between Doctor Who and the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. So Tassenbeke was sent to Davros. He requested her to come see him um, and work for him. And he he sees an opportunity to manipulate her. And he really does manipulate her into um, agreeing to murder Chobol. Yeah, it's... um, when we find out more about Davros's plan, because clearly what it is is that uh, he recognises Tassin Beaker as maybe someone who could be um, used to be t- turned into a Dalek. So he really presses her buttons and manipulates her as to kill Joe Bell. But it's it's been this um, the situation of unrequited love because for some reason she really loves Joe Bell, but Joe Bell treats her with absolute disdain. And it leads up to this moment that um, she, you know, she tries to wa- warn Jobel, but you know, because he keeps on ridiculing her and ignoring her, in a, in a fit of um, anger, she kills him by injecting him with embalming fluid, and then runs off, absolutely hysterical, and you know, going, you know, why did she do it? And and then, and then she's cruelly killed by the Daleks herself. It's yeah. Um, well, um, I think she probably sealed her fate when she she kind of confided in Jobel yes. moments before that. Um, but clearly Davros is he's always watching. So, yes. Um, whether whether she would have died or not, regardless, you know, who knows? Well, um, I, I've always sort of read that as uh, as looking at um, you know she she was killed because she tried to warn him because mm-hmm. she even says you know I'm more. 
I'm risking my own life talking to you like this. And I know, because the actress Jenny Thomason, who plays uh, Tarzan Bikin, has come in for a lot of ridicule because of her performance. And um, I think maybe there was an expectation that they would get an actress and maybe play it a bit more, I don't know, a bit more... A bit more feisty, or... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe because they cast someone who who play who performed the part different to what they were perhaps expecting. I've never had a problem with her performance. Um, because I think, you know, she's she is this tragic figure. And I think Jenny Thomason plays that 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 tragic element of her character quite well. You know, she tries to come across as um, you know, she tries to come across as serious in in moments and someone who who wants to be authoritative but clearly can't because her character isn't that and i actually really like the moments that she plays leading up to this dramatic moment she's generally heartbroken you know because she's trying to save jobel jobel's being really cruel to her and saying some really nasty stuff and it's you know she's trying to save this man that for reasons that even you know she you know she loves but she's it's it's breaking her heart the way that she's you know yeah. being tread and I really like the way that she performs all this because it, you know you do feel the tragedy of it and even though she's done this absolutely appalling act of, of murdering Joe Bell at the end of it she really does fact- love him like even though he, he shoots her down so much like um, pity it wasn't you who died <laughs> yeah and yeah it's and then I, I mean again we get this 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 this, this bit of humour well, because when Joe Bell dies, you know, he, he collapses onto the floor and then his toupee just flops off his head. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it really is. And you know, it you know, just showing how ridiculous this, this this silly vain man was. It's funny and it's tragic at the same time. And then we cut to Tassambika, who is absolutely distraught through what she's done, and the fact that she's been twisted and manipulated by Davros to do this thing. Even though she's murdered someone, her sympathy, our sympathies as the audience are strangely with her, and the fact that she then gets exterminated by two Daleks—it just—it's just like, oh, it's cruel and it's nasty. Um, and I think Jenny Thomason plays all that really, really well. But I know I think because a lot of people say that she's miscast and didn't play the part particularly well. I think I'm in the minority there, but uh, um, no, I'm I'm happy with it. I, I have hmm. questioned it in the past. Right. Does does her performance live up to the 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 dialogue or the the character as it was intended? Um, so in retrospect, I don't think I did think it was a good performance originally, but um, I do now. <laughs> right, okay. Well, I mean, I've I've never had a problem with it, and you know, um, yeah, I, th- I think she played the part well. Um, and as I said, especially those scenes leading up to her death, it's. Um, you know, you know. I still think it's powerful. I mean, I think had I what, if it'd been a case of I was watching an actress who, who played that part and it completely diminished everything that was happening in the script. I go, well, no, that's miscast. But for me, Jenny Thomason doesn't, or didn't, uh, lessen the dramatic impact of those moments, and so I've never had a problem with it. Yeah, we've come to a big moment um, as Kara and Vogel make a toast. The dogs um, enter to apprehend her, and they exterminate Vogel. Mm-hmm. He has a very, a very long-winded death. He's exterminated. He's 
in agonizing pain, he turns to look at Kara and dies. Um, yes. And you don't know the extent of her feelings, but she cares for him to mm-hmm. to a greater extent than she admits, I think. Um, she's like, oh, it's so hard to get a good secretary. Yeah, because, uh, again, this is, a, this is one of those instances where the fact that you've got someone really strong and a very good actress in Ellen LeBron playing that part because... She says that line, which is, you know, is generally quite funny. But you know, she, but you know, you get the fact that there's a lot more going on with that line through what is what isn't being said. And I think it's one of the because it, it's funny the previous Dalek story, which uh, which we looked at because funny enough I, I chose that as my favorite Peter Davison story, Resurrection of the Daleks, that contains some very long over the top Dalek deaths, um, whereas this is a. This is a death which is very unique to Doctor Who, you know, exterminated by a Dalek. Yes, it's long, but it's um, but it, it befits the story really well. And yeah. again, it's a wonderful performance. Yeah, he's been absolute agony by exterminated, but then he he's able to look longingly at Kara uh, before then just mm-hmm. collapsing. And you know, cause if he's I remember correctly, um, it's just incidentally great because wasn't he not given much direction? Or explanation on how to be exterminated. Oh, I didn't know that. So was it? Was I, I vaguely, that... you know, it's something I watched on the DVD when the DVD came out. Um, I seem to remember him saying um, he just played it the way he imagined. There was no explicit um, direction there to say, okay, make this really prolonged. And I don't know. What I might be wrong, it... but there, there was something like that. Well, if that's the case, that's fantastic. Because again, that, that that gives another thing of you know when you cast something really well, it's not just a case of of an actor conveying what is written there. It's adding their their own imagination and what they bring as an actor to elevate what's already there. And if that's the case, that's one of those fantastic moments that he because it, it's it's you know it's a unique Dalek death, but it's great and it really befits the the story very well. So the Doctor. Um at some stage is imprisoned with um, Natasha and the other guy and Orsini um, enters the cell to free them and the, doc- the doctor recognises Orsini straight away um, for what he is a, is it a high knight of the high order of Oberon or something yeah that's it yeah. <laughs> I wonder what he was dishonoured for Orsini yeah, because we'll never find out. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we need to know, but it's, uh, but it's interesting. So uh, Orsini and Bostock uh, make a siege on Davros's room, um, and he shoots lightning from it from his eye. We haven't had that yet, have we? Until this stage. No, no, this is the first. And he's attacked. Um, oh, well, he shoots lightning from the center console that he's in. And he seemingly dies, all too easy, as Orsini says. But the real Davros has been hiding behind the curtains. He emerges, and a big firefight kind of ensues. A Dalek conveniently aims at Orsini's leg and blasts it off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, funny moment. And as Orsini falls to the floor, Davros hovers over him. This is uh, a scene where you could say this was potentially the first Dalek flight that we'd seen on screen. Some people credit it to Dalek. 
people are more in the know credited to uh, Remembrance. Um, but some people credit the first flight to this. Do you think this qualifies? In terms of seeing it, yeah, because I think it had been sort of, it's sort of inferred a little bit in stories like The Chase and things. But yeah, in terms of seeing it, yes, I think this is very much the, the very first yeah. dark story um, where we see it. My, my issue with this scene, um, my perspective of this, or seeing his lying on the floor, um, Davros is hovering above him, mm. uh, overlapping his legs, so Davros is in the foreground. But the scale of Davros is smaller than Orsini. Yeah, because again, it was because I think if you watch the DVD with um, with the updated CGI effects, they they tried to correct that. I know uh, they have um, a more elaborate kind of flare coming out the bottom of Davros on the DVD, but do, do you think the scale is um, kind of fixed? Yeah, the, the thing is, because I think they recognise that the, the shot itself doesn't quite work and what they were trying to yeah. achieve. I mean, it, it's fine. You get what... It, it's it's not a total failure, but yeah, it does... It doesn't quite work. Um, and if you watch... It's, it's original, like it's some um, floating midget Davros attacking him. Well, yeah, because again, <laughs> when we have um, Natasha and her friend who... Because later on, they're killed by a Dalek. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that the Dalek is, is hovering because that, that's when they're in the catacombs and the Dalek hovers above them and kills them from a height it's a good idea it almost works but again it doesn't quite work and again it's because it's the sense it's the perspective of the shot yeah it's the perspective it's like we're looking down on them but the the angle of the Dalek it's like he's tilted is that right? yeah it's um, so again it's it's fine. It's one of those moments where it's sort of it, you've, you're almost there because they're not a million miles off from what they need, you know, to achieve to make it work. They're not a million miles off, but it is just one of those things. If you want, ah, oh, you've ah, oh. and I think the, really it goes. I think with these two shots, actually, I don't think it was a case of um, lack of technical ability. I think they were clearly able to do it technically. I think it was due to the fact that they didn't have time to do it. Yeah. Because, I mean, even at this point, you know, the, the Doctor Who's made it, it, it the, it's pretty much still made as if they were making a live television programme, you know? Yeah. The time pressures were just insane. I think that even if they had maybe just an extra half hour just to spend on getting those shots right at the time, I think they would have achieved it. But I think, I think that's an instance where these special effects don't work just because of time pressures more than anything else. Yeah. And the sequence with Davros hovering, um... Of course, they could have just had him on ground level, still attacking Orsini. Why did? Why was he hovering? Um, but I assume it's to explain how Davros got down the stairs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But of course, it's funny. The reason why the special effects of a Dalek going upstairs works in remembrance of the Daleks is because the, because they actually had the physical prop. And, and hoisted up, it up, yeah. And hoisted it up, so it was a physical thing, just physically being dragged up the stairs. Um, so it works because they're physically doing it. Yeah, they didn't superimpose it on the stairs. Yeah. Worse. <laughs> so Kara enters um, Davros's room, and Davros is in in possession of this transmitter which Kara gave to Orsini, um, and. 
I think Orsini, of course, he just looks after himself. He he's very what's the word? He's very cautious, so he doesn't um, he doesn't let his guard down, and he of course he knows he could be getting double crossed by Kara. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Davros instructs Orsini to activate the transmitter. This is where the pressure comes in, and Kara admits that it's a bomb. Orsini then kills Kara for being uh, betrayed. He's, yeah, he, he, stabs he actually her. stabs her. Yeah, yeah. which is a, a brutal death because you know we actually see because it's sort of this this prong. We actually see it go in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's brutal. Um, so the Daleks are breaking into the DJ's room and the Doctor can hear this over the announcement mm-hmm. and the DJ is killed and the Doctor doesn't seem too worried about Perry because you think presumably she would get killed as well but thankfully what was she all part of Davros's master plan let's not, <laughs> not kill her just yet <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then she's kind of um, brought brought to the doctor. So the doctor strolls into Davros's chamber, um, and finally we have them uh, reunited. Um, he questions Davros's demise at the end of the previous Dalek story, Resurrection. Um, we clearly saw Davros affected by the virus in that story. But now he claims that he simply survived by entering an escape pod. I don't know if this is just lazy writing or, or something. It's, it's like they've, it's like they've decided just to retcon the whole virus thing. Well, um, I, I wonder if it would have been better just to have no explanation. Well, the um, the, I mean, the previous Dalek story. I mean, he. There was there was an escape hatch leading to an escape shot, so it was sort of um, seen in the last story. So, as I mean, I suppose it works. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is a it is a little bit lazy, but um, you know, could I mean, I mean, this is a time traveling story. It could have been, you know, you could have said that, you know, he's met, even though this story is being broadcast after Resurrection of the Daleks, the events could have been prior to it, but then. The whole relationship between Davros and the Daleks wouldn't have made sense, so I suppose no, it has to follow it. Yeah, it's funny. This is the first of two instances where Davros creates a new branch of Daleks, mm. but it's gold and silver. In this case, he's creating this new strain of Daleks in remembrance. Um, it's where it, the this gold and silver are the Imperials and the others are the Renegades, but either way it's like Davros's new images, gold and white and gold. Hmm. Um, I wonder why that is. <laughs> Something from his childhood? <laughs> yeah. He used, wear, he used to wear these gold and silver suits. Uh, it's gold and white suits. Yeah, it is, a, it is an interesting colour choice. <laughs> Davros reveals that he's been turning the dead into food. So... This is probably the big revelation of the story. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, again. This is a great moment. So it it it's funny. So D- D- Davros's plan has been to um, 
he's, he's developed the means to basically turn anyone into a Dalek. And in the process of doing that, um, those that didn't work, or for whatever reason didn't match his criteria to turning them to Daleks, he, he turned these dead bodies into food. And, and then, because that part of the galaxy had famine, and he's cured that famine by making people eat their own relatives. Um, again, this is one of those moments where it's sort of stomach-churning, but it's also funny, because... You know, when, when the Doctor says, did you bother to tell anyone that they might be eating their own relatives? Davros's line is fantastic. Of course not. I think that would... Because that would have formed what I believe is called consumer resistance. <laughs> I mean, love, love that line. It's funny. But um, but I also like I, li- I also like it when they realise, you know, what this all means. That, you know, people have been, you know, been eat- eating dead people. Um, it cuts to Orsini looking quite quite nauseous about the idea uh, <laughs> how odd um, yeah I, uh, I like that whole scene about in terms of the the idea of it because it is genuinely stomach churning but also the way that it's written and performed is quite funny as well it's that that wonderful blend of the horror and the humor that the story has so uh, a ship lands outside the facility and Tarkis and Lilt um, greet some grey Daleks entering the facility mm-hmm. so we have uh, another faction here from the the legit Dalek Empire look <laughs> at <laughs> you taking sides uh, yes yeah yeah the, the original Daleks um, and Davros is um, preparing to activate his Daleks so he reaches over to the control panel to awaken them um, but out of the corner, Bostock raises his gun and shoots Davros's hand into pieces. Um, mm-hmm. Another graphic scene. Uh, this is kind of referenced in Stolen Stolen Earth Journey Ends when we see Davros with like a robotic hand. Um, this was confirmed on Doctor Who Confidential, and um, that it was a reference to Revelation. Oh, I did not know that. All yeah. right, okay, that's interesting. They said, well, he had his hand blown off. We have to reference that. That's why he has... Um, is it Julian Bleach? Yeah, his mm-hmm. Davros has one one metal hand. <laughs> ah, right, okay. That never, <laughs> never crossed my mind that it was a reference to that. Yeah. All right, okay. I mean, that, obviously that makes sense. It was funny because uh, th- there's a there's a shot um, and you see Davros's fingers on the floor I read this years ago. Whether this is true or not, I've no idea. But apparently, following that, the original idea was to have the Doctor pull a finger, one of Davros's fingers, from out, out of his nose. From out of... No way. Yeah, I read that years ago. Apparently, that was the original <laughs> idea, that, you know, the, one of the fingers landed up the Doctor's nose and he, you know, he oh pulled it out. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, um... <laughs> I don't know if I believe it or not. Yeah, there's a. <laughs> Imagine if they did it. <laughs> I kind of wish they'd. I mean, it's one of those things. Just, but just because it would absolutely bad taste and would have been awful. There's a part of me wishes that they did do that, but obviously, if that was the intention, it's best that they didn't really. Yeah, but... just as an outtake or something, though. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, such a shame. So Davros is bandaged up, and it seems he has green blood. Did we always know this? Not really. No, I don't think so. 
I presume the Khalids have got red blood? I don't know, is the I wonder if the green's just part of Davros's mutation. There's a firefight in the corridor between these um, opposing Daleks. Orsini raises his gun to Davros but gets zapped again. Actually, Julian Bleach uses the zap, doesn't he? He uses it on... Um, is it on Donna? Yeah. I think, yes, I think so, yeah, yeah. The Daleks enter to apprehend Davros and they're going to put him on trial. This is addressed in uh, the Big Finish Davros series. But they change the emphasis on it that he's not there to stand trial. They are going to put him on trial. A trial basis kind of I don't know, leader or something. <laughs> but they kind of put a new spin on it. Hmm. Oh, okay. Because when you think about it, why would the Daleks wouldn't <laughs> put him on trial? They would just kill him. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that is true. But, um, it's one of those things where I, I, I didn't think about it too much when I've, I've read the story. It seems to it seems to fit, and it's just this interesting idea that you've now got uh, these two Dalek factions, you know, ones who are loyal to Davros and those who aren't, and it's you know it's all brought, in. you know, it's sort of hinted in the previous story that's where they're going, but it's it's very much part of this story, and I, you know I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, one thing that um, I didn't quite get was the fact that these Daleks come in and. They're just going to integrate Davros's Daleks in into them, um, just recondition them, hmm. which was I thought was a bit odd because these Daleks, Davros's Daleks, are um, they don't have the same lineage. They're 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 in, they're not pure. They're human Daleks. Yeah, it's I think we'll probably it th goes away from the the whole purity thing. No, that's true. But that I mean that comes later on in in the following story, which is Remembrance. I think at this point in the story, it's maybe it's this idea it's it's really to do with power dynamics so it's basically you know davros is causing problems we can simply recondition daleks that i mean the the, the racial purity idea obviously makes an awful lot more sense but at that point i don't think it had been considered um so in terms of the, the period of the show i think it, it sort of works but yeah yes yeah. uh, i mean it's not overlooked um eventually in the new era because the daleks we know in the partner of the ways that the Emperor's Daleks have been cultivated from human cells. And yes. we know in Victory of the Daleks, um, we have the new paradigm, which are um, constructed from this original Dalek DNA. So they have yeah, so, But uh, so, in the, the, the existing Daleks uh, are impure. Yeah, but again, it, it, I suppose you could make it... It, it makes sense because it's this idea that you know Daleks are all about survival at any costs, and as it's as it's going to part of the ways though, but because they're not racially pure, um, they hate themselves. They hate themselves, yeah. So yes, Davros is taken away. Great music, and it's not a tragic end for everyone. Not everyone dies. Um, Tarkus and Lilt, um, they're still alive, and it looks like they've got a hopeful future. Um, their intentions were they good or bad because they hoped the place would be good again after the dogs are gone after the dogs are gone so were they a bit naive to think um the dogs would just let them be mm. uh, i think so but they were coming from from a good place uh although you know they're not this being an eric saywood story that you know they're they're you know they're not 
they're not entirely straightforward. I mean, because you know, we see them um, in prison and, and torture and interrogate um, Natasha and uh, I've, forgotten her, I've forgotten her friend. So they're not they're not one thing or the other. They're a bit sort of, you know, but they, they are trying to make things better. But, you know, that morally they're on a bit of a grey area. Because even at the end when they're trying to come right, what are we going to do? You know, they're thinking of basically demolishing the entirety of the, the the tombs of the people who are you know are still are still buried it actually takes the doctor for them to go no i think it's time to let the the dead rest in peace mm-hmm. um you can still crack on without um causing further issues yeah. and that's when that's when he brings in um the plant that we saw at the very beginning of episode one which can be cultivated yeah so it had a purpose <laughs> yeah um so yes before the climax um Orsini has his honourable death and he insists on it doesn't he the, the doctor is willing to find a solution to maybe um, trigger the bomb to go off automatically but he wants to stay there and die well no no because it's actually explained that uh, the, the bomb doesn't have a timer so well, yes, but, it... but, the, but the doctor's like well you know give it here and he's like well no doctor oh right I say sorry let, yes. let me have my, on, my honourable death there is that, but there is also the time factor because the idea is that they, you know, try and get people enough time to get out. But at the same time, he wants to explode the bomb. Yeah. In time to in time to kill Davros. Totally, yeah. Uh, but of course, Davros Davros is manages to, manages to escape. Yeah, but but um, he he but the explosion does manage to destroy all the the Daleks that Davros created. So. Yeah, and most of the facility. And the corridors are starting to blow up. Um, the doctor catches up with everyone, and um, that's when we have the final scene with um, Tarkus and Lil discussing becoming farmers. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's this about us becoming farmers? And then this has a, a final scene where this is a scene that was notably changed because of the hiatus. Am I right? Where the doctor yes. tells Perry where they're off to next. Well, he almost tells her. Yeah, now it's funny because I think if you weren't aware that the show was going to go on a hiatus, I think the scene works. Because it's just this whole tease that, you know, Perry wants to go somewhere fun. And then he goes, all right, I'll take you to... And then it goes into the credits. And you go, oh, that's, that's a bit of a joke. But actually, yeah, what happened was um, the the future of the show was was in doubt. And the original line was the Doctor was go- would say... All right, I take you to Blackpool, and then the the first story of season twenty three, which was actually going to be written by Graham Williams, former producer, um, I think called the Nightmare Fair, which was going to bring back the Celestial Toymaker, but that was going to be set in Blackpool, so yeah. it was going to lead directly into that story. But because everything was up in the air and no one knew what was going to happen, rather than saying that, um, they went right. Okay, we'll just have it where. He doesn't say that last word, so it just goes. All right, I'll take you to. Where's he gonna take it? <laughs> um, but yes, you're right. So that 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 it's the end. The very ending of the story was affected by the the show then going on into hiatus. Yeah. Um, it's funny you should mention that season twenty three because that story in particular, the Blackpool one, um, has been dramatized for Big Finish. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who: The Lost Stories. 
Yeah, I um, that came out a few years back, and I um, I want to. I haven't, I haven't listened to it yet, but at some point I oh. definitely want to. I'm very curious. So now it's time for our listeners' responses. We asked what people thought about Revelation of the Daleks, and a lot of you kindly responded. Jacob Dinkle um, of the Married to Who podcast said, I really enjoy this story. I love how bonkers and nonsensical it is. The supporting cast is great, especially Kara, Jobel and Tarkus. Malloy is much better. The Doctor and Perry don't need to be in it and aren't for the first 45 minutes, which is true. I'll do a quick shout out. You can check out Jacob's podcast over at MarriedToWho.com. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thanks, Jacob. Uh, Greg Campbell got in contact and said, very good, 9 out of 10 story. The Doctor and Perry could have done a bit more in part one, and Tassin Beaker is utterly miscast. But that aside, it's a brilliant story, best of an underrated season. The 42 to Doomsday podcast said, One of the three great 80s adventures, full of lashings of gore, perverted sex, <laughs> and an eat the rich mentality we can agree with. Um, well, actually, no, I don't agree with that. I know. Uh, <laughs> sorry, 42 to Doomsday, but no. Um, it took me a while to go, perverted sex, What's he talk- uh, what, what are they talking about? But um, there's, there's a line where it's sort of inferred that Tassin Beaker, uh, because she's lonely, has, um, has uh, dabbles in necrophilia. So I think that's what that's a reference to. What, what, what was the line in particular? It's 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 the bit where it's leading up to um, Tassin Beaker. She's about to kill Joe Bell. It's that whole conversation. Um, it's it's when they're in the the morgue, mm-hmm. and he, 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 uh, I think he basically he says something on the lines of, um, "You spend too much, you spend too many, too much time with the dead, or something like that." And the sort of the inference is that she, um, um, she <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Anyway, so moving on. Uh, Grey Wolf author said, Definitely the best Colin Baker story and a great ensemble piece with standout performances from Orsini, The Scheming Woman, and Alexi Sale. The Joe Bell and his assistant sidebar is well done, and the different Daleks at the end are fantastic. Herald of Creation said, It contains all that is great and all that is wrong with season 22. We have a great story, fantastic guest cast, very witty script and lots of action. However, it is violent and the pacing is shot to hell. In a four-part story, um, the cliffhanger could have been brought forward 20 minutes. Oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> if you watch it as a two-part story, the cliffhanger is brought forward. <laughs> no, no, I think what he means is that had had this been structured to the 25 minutes, you know, the whole story would have moved at a much quicker pace. Right, okay. It would have been better for it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Retro Tube Archive TV podcast said, The only classic Colin Baker adventure and, like Day of the Daleks, one of the best story with the Daleks in, even if it's not a great Dalek story. Eric Saywood suddenly becomes a really good writer. The cast are magnificent. The whole thing pops and crackles wonderfully. Todd said, the best Dalek story currently in existence, for the main show at least, anyway. Oh, wow. So, his favourite Dalek story. That's pretty cool. Um, Matt got in contact with us and said, What's your views on on a sponge? Revelation Daleks lacked the modulated tones and story was at least 6 out of 10. 
Adam Martin said, contender for the best classic Doctor Who story of all time. Deliciously dark. <laughs> Very dark. Whilst being wonderfully entertaining. Some excellent dialogue and beautiful scenes. One of the show's best accomplishments. Doctor Whom thing said, it's a bit weird. I love it. <laughs> I love that review. Short to the point. And yeah, I think it does sum it up. It is weird and I love it. Yeah. John Lane said, for the most part, it's a great story with some great characters and ideas. But Christ, Alexi Sale's performance is annoying. Simon Tweetlord said, One of the best stories I've watched when I was a kid. Of course, this was the late 2000s with DVDs. It's such a fantastic story with all sorts of surprises. Very well written. And of course, we can't forget the absolutely amazing music by Radiophonic Workshop's composer Roger Lynn. 10 out of 10. Mr. Hideous said, My all-time favourite Dalek story. Well acted, directed and written. All dark and twisted. Too bad not all of Colin Baker's stories were this well done. Paul Morris said, Boring! And that was it. Ian, he said, One of my favourite Dalek stories. I watched it during the original broadcast. I remember how surprised and, de and delighted when the Grey Dalek showed up. Colin and Nicola worked well in that story. Loved and still do the Doctor and Davros discussion. X X, and apologies if I mispronounced that, said, My favourite Colin Baker story, the mausoleum planet ad, sorry, the mausoleum planet setting adds the right macabre background, Orsini and Bostock are a fun double act, William Gaunt and Clive Swift are both fun guest stars, heck the whole cast is good, a slightly bigger budget and it's almost phantasmesque. Jason Richard said, contains one of the most chilling scenes ever, Stengoss. One of the funniest ever, Perry avoiding Jobel. One of the sauciest, Perry breaking the Doctor's watch. <laughs> one of the most heartbreaking, Tassenbeke tells Jobel she loves him. And one of the most tragic, the mutants. I think that's a really good summing up. Yeah, I think I agree with uh, Jason Richard on that one. Uh, John the White said, Eric Saywood's last great script for Doctor Who with a vein of black humour that really pushed the boundaries. The Daleks and their tangled relationship with their creator was excellently handled. The only criticism is the Doctor lacked agency until, until deep into part two. Anthony Williams and Bobby D75, in reply to a gif we'd posted of Davros Zappanossini, said, Davros is a Sith Lord. Makes sense, actually. Well, thank you for getting in touch, everyone. Remember to also get in touch for our next podcast. In a few minutes, we'll reveal exactly what we'll be reviewing in, in that episode. So a quick conclusion and score. Um, I think we'll agree it's a very dark, dark, dark story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's very dark. And as a lot of you have pointed out... Um, it's very bizarre. It has, um, and it has some very striking moments. Um, a lot of extremes that no other story has dared to explore. It's not a perfect story. Um, I'll have a think about where I'm going to go with a score. Have you got any final thoughts before we do a score? 
it's it's certainly a unique Doctor Who story. There's nothing there's nothing like it, and not just in terms of the show. I mean, in in television in general, it's it really stands stands up and stands out. Um, it has a wonderful. It's Doctor Who doing a dark comedy, really, um, and it's got a, an awful lot of imagination in it. I love the guest actors in it; they really elevate it, uh, and I like, I like the story. And yes, we have nitpicked with with certain things. Some of it I can forgive because you know time constraints were making the show, and it's. It, I think it still stands up. The the only real bugbear, funny enough, is something that we haven't raised, which is is actually the Dalek voices in this story. Because I can kind of see the idea behind it, because they're not quite, they're not quite Daleky or staccato enough. And the idea was, because they were, because the idea behind it was that because the Daleks are being are being made from converting humans, Graham Harper had this idea that the voices of the Daleks would sound more human. Fine, haven't got a problem with that. But the fact that the grey Daleks sound exactly the same irritates me a bit. Oh. But re- that's the only real sort of irritating thing that i have about this story but i can overlook it to be perfectly honest yeah it's it's unique and i, I, I thoroughly en- enjoy it in that sense it's funny it's 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 dark um it's very dark yeah it's, it's very it's remarkably dark i can barely see anything um in terms of a score it's a bit of a funny one because i have got a score of it which I think, in some respects, is fair, but there's a part of me which wishes that I, I wish I could rank it higher. But nonetheless, it's still a story that I do like, and will more than happily rewatch. So I give it seven out of ten. Okay, I was torn between seven and eight. Mm-hmm. I was going to give it a seven point five. Yeah, funny enough, I was thinking maybe I should maybe I should give it seven and a half as well. Copycats. Yeah, there's a solid seven and a half. It is. Yeah, there we go. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Please connect with us on social. We're on facebook.com slash cloisterbell. Twitter at podcastbell. Instagram cloister underscore bell. You can find us on YouTube. We are on, we have a Discord community. Um, you can check that out. Cloisterbellpodcast.com forward slash Discord. Review, review us on Apple Podcasts. Podchaser, would love to know what you think. And our main hub, cloisterbellpodcast.com. You can see all our previous podcasts and posts on there now that we're finished here um, can we review a real story well I know something that is truly tranquil, peaceful restful a panacea for the cares of the mind can't we watch something fun fun? oh I suppose anything will be peaceful after revelation of the Daleks alright we can review (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.